Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. Show and Tell is that that show where we bring on cool guests to talk about the cool things that they're working on. And today's cool guest is none other than Orla Nidul. And the cool thing we're going to be talking about is her latest Dungeons and Dragons adventure, The Valley. Welcome, Orla. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I was I was telling you before we started recording that I was just browsing Twitter, you know, you know how you, you get you're just hours of mindless scrolling. Yeah. And then I saw this, I saw this cover for this book or this adventure. And I was like, what is this? And who was making this? Because it was, it just said the valley and it was just this picturesque of a mountain in a village. And it was the colors were striking. And I looked it up and it was the valley being written by Orla. And so I sent you a message because I, the cover, I was like, this is it. I'm sold. I need to know more about this. So yeah, that's that. That's kind of how I, that's how I found you. That cover. It's so good. Yeah. No, obviously I can't personally take credit for uh, the cover that's done by Laura Boland. And Laura <laughs> has worked on all three of my, well, obviously one hasn't come out yet, but the two that are out and the one that's coming out, um, all my DMs Guild covers. She's incredibly talented. So she did my first ever one, The Will. And then um, last year, our, our bestseller, um, Murder on the Eberron Express, I think was also a particularly great one. Some people got that as Prince even because they loved that one so much. Uh, it was very art deco noir. Uh, yes. And she just adapts to styles really well and evokes moods so well that it. I honestly think that. Laura is a big reason that the, the games sell as well as they do because people see them and they're kind of instantly going, they get the vibe that the game is trying to give off, which is hard in a blurb to really communicate. Absolutely is. And I'm glad you said that because, yeah, covers definitely need to evoke so much. And the, I, the vibe that I got from that cover is really the vibe of this mystery adventure that that's that's what I want, and so I'm I'm absolutely sure that that's what that this adventure is going to be going to be doing. But before we really dive into what the valley is, let's get to know you. All right. So real quick, how did you get into RPGs then? Oh God. Um. So I'd been around sort of all oh, my friends were nerds growing up, and then, but we weren't really gaming nerds until probably I was 17 18 playing what I for a while I thought I was playing um D&D I have subsequently looked back and looked at the actual rules to 3.5 and there's absolutely no way I was playing 3.5 doesn't make any sense so I think I was playing some sort of my DM was had invented their own mashup between 3.5 and Pathfinder which was Okay. weirdly almost identical to 5th edition because when 5th edition came out I was so confused because I was like how are they claiming this is a new game I've been playing this I'm for years been playing. Um, it's so funny it was really strange so in a way I've been playing 5th um, edition since about 4 years before it was published <laughs> wow you got that insider scoop <laughs> yeah it was, okay. it was very weird well that's cool so I guess then is what made you transition to just you know playing this weird um amalgamation of an rpg to fifth edition to now you decided that you're gonna go ahead and write your own adventures well i'd always always written fiction and i was kind of involved in like the art scene here in dublin and i started dming for people and i'm kind of a control freak so i 
even when I'm running hardbacks, which I do do, like I run, I run modules and stuff. I always tend to change them up a little bit anyway. I would often try and think of one shots that would like ease new players in or kind of teach them valuable lessons about the game. <laughs> so the will, which was the first one I ever published, was a adjustment of a game I had written for some friends, including some new people and some people that I just knew had bad habits at the table in terms of maybe not always thinking through the consequences of their, of their character's actions. And uh, yeah, it was basically the whole point of the will is to kind of teach that there are like, there's written into the adventure to help the DM structure consequences to actions. So every time the players go murder hobo, there's very clearly laid out consequences to that. Everything ahead gets harder if they just rush in and don't think it through. That's incredible. If there's one thing that I wish I could teach my players is that actions definitely have consequences. So that's that's cool that you're thinking about those things. So with that said, you you, you mentioned the will. But now you have the valley, and what is the what's the elevator pitch then for the valley? So the valley was it's it. I wanted something that was for first level characters because I found first level adventures tended to either be dull or just like almost impossible. So there are some level one stuff that like half the characters are going to die before you make it to level three. It's just really hard to scale or it's kind of like not very challenging or interesting and so I wanted something to that you would challenge characters you'd get them used to the mechanics of the game that it was fun and interesting but it also didn't just instantly kill them all so could a GM then take this adventure and run it then for players who have never played before oh yeah I think that this would be an easy one to run for new players because it's it's RP focused in a structured way in that it's RP focused because there's in particular information that the DM has laid out for them that the players need to have access to. So it's not just kind of RP focused in a general sense. It's like you have to get this information and there are various there's skill challenges built in and there's combat built in and there's RP built in in a structured way that would help. I mean, I think it'd be easy for newish DMs to run as well because it's kind of got that laid in really specifically it's not really left up to interpretation nice so with that said then what would you say is like this what's the story beats or the i know it's a mystery but what can you give us to tell us like what is the what's the valley about and what can you expect the feeling to be when you sit down at the table playing the valley well you know obviously i think every dm could run it a little differently and i always like to leave that a little open. I don't want to be too prescriptive, even though I do like to be specific. And I know that sounds contradictory, but it's sort of like, I want them to have all the tools, but not all the, but not trapped in, on rails. But I think the general idea is that they, yeah, a sense of not really knowing what's going on, a sense of thinking that there's something bigger going on they don't know about. Um, they arrive in a very isolated location. They've been recommended for a job. They're hired to solve a murder that a family member doesn't feel that this murder is being investigated thoroughly enough by the town guard. But there's constantly other weird things happening and there's just clearly more to it than a simple than a simple stabbing. So one of my, uh, when you started describing the valley to me earlier, and one of the things that I really got from it was it's a small town, uh, like mystery. And one of the one of the reasons I think I was hooked so much on the valley was 
um, my wife and I, one of our favorite things to do is watch like small town pastoral British mysteries. Like that's like we love Endeavor so much. And um, so that was one of the things that I was just like, I really want to drop this at my table. So that's me personally, what I was really getting from it. Yeah, I like just that out there. I like for me, I like there to be longevity to things. So I am a cheapskate. When I buy something, I want to be able to use it more than once. And that's true of like literally everything in my life. And it's true yep. of my DM stuff. And so when I write adventures, I also really write settings. So it was a true for the will and it's true for this. I think murder, I don't, I, I keep not referencing that because that was like a really different type of adventure. But in both cases, I detail a village in relative like in quite a lot of detail and in the valley because it's quite sandboxy people you know the players have to explore this whole town to try and find out as much information as they can for a one shot there's you know dozens of npcs there's i think four or five taverns there's multiple shops there's multi like the locations are detailed quite specifically so what would you say then is, um, what makes a good, because you say it's sandbox, so what do you think makes a good sandbox RPG? Making sure that you hit the balance right between giving enough information that the DM isn't trying to fill in edges that players will inevitably wander towards. That you have at least mostly predicted a where people will wander, like what the kind of thing they might look for and presented that, you're never going to think of everything. Anyone who's ever DM knows that your players are going to do something that you're never, yeah. ever going to think of. So there's no point worrying about that too much because you're going to have to improv something because they're going to do something crazy. But that within reason, you have presented them with enough information that they can answer all reasonable questions, but not so much information that they are totally overwhelmed with this and like endless, endless pages of stuff they're probably never going to use. Yeah, you get that. Oh, it's almost like a paralysis where there's just so much stuff. You don't necessarily know what to do. You're like, well, my players are never going to use this stuff. So yeah, just being on a focus and like that is great. So let's talk about then the inspiration for the Valley because you are also not just a RPG writer, fiction writer, but also you work with nature conservation and other stuff like that. So how did that tie into the Valley then? So can you talk about, can you talk, tell us a little bit about what that is, what you do outside of RPGs? Because it sounds so cool. Yeah. So I work for a environmental nonprofit called the Native Woodlands Trust. So we're working on protecting and restoring um, Irish native woodlands because um, Ireland had a huge rate of deforestation. We have one of the lowest forest rates in Europe. And I've worked in the environment. Well, I've been kind of involved in the environmental sector for years, but I've been working in it for a little while. And I've, I kind of, yeah, I really wanted to find a way of bringing it into one of my D&D games, you know, and I was kind of like toying back and forth. I have a, another book coming out um, with a third party publisher where I managed to make a type. I did some monster design for monsters based on, like fungus and how fungus behaves in ecosystems. Oh, that's cool. That are they're deeply disturbing. I really had a lot of fun making. They're really messed up how I designed those monsters. <laughs> but uh, that was fun. But this was, yeah, I wanted it to be a little more um, sort of nature versus civilization. I, I mean, Princess Mon Mononoke, the, the Studio Ghibli film, was like a big part of it. That kind of vibe. 
to a certain extent was definitely in there. Um, and for me, I was trying to think like what kind of parts of that interested me. I like I love that idea of like really deep kind of temperate rainforest because it's weird. Ireland and Japan have the same forest ecosystem. Um, we Did don't not know that. Yeah, it's not. We don't have exactly the same climates in other ways because there are higher mountains in Japan. So they have a different mountain ecosystem. But we're both have a type of forest that's called temperate rainforest. You also get it in parts of like Washington um, and the Pacific Northwest. Um, but it's a really rare form of rainforest. And we have hardly any of it left because we cut most of it down for, you know, farmland. But they have a lot more of it left over in Japan. And so it was kind of like a weird mixture of Ireland and Japan happening in my head when I was thinking about um, the landscape of this uh, valley. Like, so the town, Zazen, is the name of the town in the valley, which is a word for um, meditation in Japanese Buddhism, um, which was kind of a joke to myself because the idea is there's this monastery at the top of the town. And the lake, which is called the Shiokan Lake, um, which is only really mentioned once in the whole adventure is the name of the lake, but it's an anglicized spelling of an Irish word, which means peace. So okay. it's like meditation and peace was like the joke. The lake is right there on the cover too. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. So it's like, it's sort of, yeah, I, I just thought it was, those were mostly jokes just for me. Like these, yeah. these things, I, I put a lot of things in these games that are really just for me. Hey, I mean, <laughs> why write if you're not going to enjoy it? Exactly. You know, um, you know be a little selfish. And I did okay. a little more monster design for this as well. I came up with it. So there is a new original monster that I may put out separately as well. I haven't really decided, but there is um based it's basically a fey creature based on bees because before i worked for the woodland trust one of the things i did was i um worked with the wildlife trust and i did some stuff on bee conservation and bumblebee monitoring and um so i spent a lot of time with bees okay and yeah i decided to make this this weird bee fey creature called an apiad um weird bee creature yeah i'll take it i'll yeah. take it and laura did some art Laura did some art for this thing that is so funny. It is so funny, and I can't wait for people to see the illustration of this creature because it is the it's it's out there. So I guess I, that's a good point to bring up then because that's good to know that. Um, so Laura's got did some of the art then in the book too, right? Yeah, mostly not too much interior art because honestly, we just didn't have time. Um, you know, I, I have a full-time job. Laura has a full-time job. Um, but Laura did the maps. So there are, there are two uh, uh, maps inside um, one of the town and one battle map inside the book. Mostly for this, because it's not a very combat story, there really wasn't need for maps other than that because the, the descriptions, theater of the mind just works better. It's not specific enough to need maps. Um, and then there's some stock images... Uh, I'm waiting to see what they end up looking like because I found a lot of um, stock art that was sort of this in this kind of black, sketchy, illustrative style. That's fantastic. And I'm, given I've mentioned everyone else, I should say that um, Christopher Waltz, is, uh, Waltz did the editing. I am very dyslexic, so it is very important for me yeah. to always have an editor because sometimes there are just like whole ass words missing from the middle of sentences. So. <laughs> yes, I know that feeling too. So... Yeah. Uh, how, how, um, so the valley, 
how how big of an adventure is this then? I left scope for it to go off the rails and get bigger. Okay. Like I say, I like to make my adventures as much settings as they are particular stories so that DMs can use them as a base to tell their own story later on. So this could be your level one to three of a much bigger story that a DM decides to, to tell. Um, so yeah, I mean, you'd need to go get your own stat blocks to throw in some extra stuff and you'd need to do yeah. a little extra work, but you could run this for a few sessions if it, if it started to go that way. Okay. Um, and you could also, there's... The ending is set up in such a way that it's like you could do a lot more with that ending than is in it right now because, you know, what I've written is all about the murder. But there's this other wider stuff going on in the valley. A DM could make more of that, run it for longer. There's there's space there. So this is a, it looks, sounds like level, around level one through three adventure. And one of the things you said was that it's not really combat focused. No, isn't okay. there is combat there? Multiple isn't there are times when combat is possible. There are one or two times when combat is almost unavoidable, but mostly combat is avoidable. And things that I write, combat is nearly always avoidable. Um, so, so as so personally, I'm a I'm a DM who I'm not very combat focused or really interested in it. It's just not the not the type of person or player or dungeon master I am. So one of the things I look for in adventures then are what are those things other than combat that I'm using to engage my players? So because there's it's not necessarily combat focused, the valley isn't, what are what's what is driving the players or what are the interesting things that they're or some examples of the interesting things that they're doing? So, yeah, like there's a lot of investigation. So there's skill challenges. Uh, There's two different sort of investigations that would be happening at the same time. One is of this murder and one is of another set of effects that are happening in the town and the valley. And it happens relatively early on. There's the first opportunity for combat, which can go a few different ways. Um, A lot of the combats are kind of short, sharp shocks if they do happen. Um, And it's sort of a case of like, how do you manage that and manage the fallout? Um, And so, I mean, first off, the idea is that they're mostly being motivated by money. Okay. That they've been specifically hired to do what seems like a very simple job. But then the idea is that they'll sort of get tangled up in it. And even if the money doesn't seem worth it anymore, they'll sort of be uh, stuck in for the ride then. Yep. Also that there's only, and this is is the, the, the fun bit. As things get worse in the general valley around them, there is only one road in and one road out. Oh, spooky. I, lo- I love it. Whenever a book whenever a book or a story talks about the one road or the one bridge, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is gonna be a good one. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna This I'm is gonna how you like get that. trapped somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I love trapping my players in a spot. I'm like, yay, looks like you can't go. You're gonna keep on doing this adventure. So um I guess um so mystery. Mystery is one of the, to me, is one of the hardest things to run um, as a dungeon master. We just, I just finished up with my players, and we just finished up a two-session mystery adventure. And the first session was, there was like no combat, and there was the mystery, and they were starting to get into it, uh, but it just... They had a good time when we were done with it, but I just didn't feel like I personally did the mystery 
justice. And I felt like I just wound up having to spoon feed players information or I had to change stuff up too much. But how do you how do you run a good mystery? I mean, that's a great question. Um, I know. When I feel I confident that I'm getting it right, I will for sure let you know. But <laughs> I think, I mean, the last, I had never really done a lot of mystery before until my last thing that I wrote, which was Murder on the Eberron Express, which I wrote on such a whim. I wrote it entirely. Me and Laura did that whole book. Uh, she did art and I wrote the whole thing in literally like a month. We were like, it was like a fever dream. Eberron was coming out. Uh, it's one of my favorite settings. And I was like, I think if we launch, if we release this the week after the book comes out, it'll sell well. Let's just, let's just do it. Let's go mad. Let's just, like, we just, just wrote it all in one month. But it was very specific in that it's very Cluedo-like. Or, no, Clue, sorry. Americans call it Clue. Um, so, <laughs> I have it behind me to prove that we call it something else. Okay. Because Americans don't believe me. It has a different name here. See? Cluedo? Yeah. It's obviously the same box. It's not the same box. It is the of the old one. This is like a, this is literally 30 years old, this box. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Orla's holding up this fantastic oh, right. old box. Of, no, 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 it's podcast. okay. No, it's, no, that's totally okay. It's, it's, I love it so much when people do like audio, like you give visual cues. It's, <laughs> it's great. So yeah. Um, okay. That's another thing we learned. All right. So we learned that, um, Japan and Ireland have a very similar like um, rainforest ecosystem, and also, guess what? Clues called something different outside of the United States. Who knew that? But the movie is still called Clue here, right. which is one of my honestly one of my favorite movies, one of the funniest Such comedies ever. And that was really so. I wrote a mystery where at the start of the one shot you roll a dice to figure out who the murderer is. And it's one of the players. One of the players is the murderer. Uh, possibly. Or it could be one of the NPCs. There are, and there's, depending on how many players you have, some of them, some of the roles go to the players and some of the roles go to NPCs, depending on how many you have, and you roll this dice to figure it out. And that took care of a lot of the mystery building that normally you would have to write in and, and sort out as a DM because there was this element of randomness you kind of didn't know everyone was figuring it out together. It sort of solved itself. And so it was easier. Like it was, it was a lot easier to do it that way. But even then there are certain things that I had set up where, yeah, I mean, I like a couple of people ran it on podcasts or streams and I was watching them going, yeah, they're struggling to get to that beat. I can, I'm watching this DM work yeah. at that, getting to that beat. They're like, I'm they're reaching and I'm I'm like getting a stitch watching them. Um, and I've run it. I, I ran because there's eight roles in the game. I ran it for eight people once. And the idea is the game can be run for up to eight people, which is obviously ludicrous. And I don't advise it to anybody. Um, but it was pretty funny. But it was, you know, it's it's pretty intense because there's only one combat in the whole game for obvious reasons due to the eight people. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> It was the most ridiculous combat I've ever run in my entire life because there were eight players. So with the um, so that 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 murder on the Eberron Express adventure, um, it sounds like it's not always the same um, killer. Right? No, it changes every time. So I guess really that's that kind of leads into my next question. I had was there's always this conversation when you talk about running mysteries for an RPG is whether it's okay 
to change there's it's almost like an people talk about like it's almost like an ethical decision i don't know if i'd go that far where it's like can you change who the um perpetrator is in the mystery depending on which trajectory your players are going i think that's a really interesting one because i've heard of people who've literally changed the villain of their campaigns because their players guessed it too early and i don't know i think i wouldn't personally because i tend to have a really clear idea but what i would do is i would have the villain find out that they are suspected and find some way of throwing suspicion off them or something that's how i would personally run that as a dm i'm not gonna tell anyone that how they do it is wrong or right but it's like that's how i tend to be very i'm a control freak as i've said i i have how kind of what i think if once i've written my story like that's what's happened in the world and i like my players to be able to do whatever they want but the world around them is the world around them and they interact with it and so they have all agency in the world but it doesn't change reality um and so with i kind of wanted to try running something that it was set in stone like this is what happened this is what's happening outside of the players are strangers to this place they know nothing the characters know nothing they're coming into this as a state of ignorance But all of these things did happen. All of these things are currently happening. And there's a set of stuff in motion that will start to happen that they have no control over because it was set in motion before they got there. And how they react to it is is up to them. And there is kind of... With an RPG that's different from writing a mystery book, you can't have as many red herrings because that's how you end up spending seven hours with them investigating the basement of a random npc you mentioned in passing because you know you just thought you'd tell someone they were a half elf and they're like but that other person was a half elf kill them and search their house and you're like oh god no i just (laughs) mentioned them i just gave them too much description and now you assume they're relevant to the plot um so just like i want to just talk about how cool this scene is you know i'm just using my words um yeah but no i get it um, so yeah, that's you've got to be careful of that in a mystery one because you can really derail. But at the same time, you've you can't you, yeah you don't want to f- spoon feed them. So there has to be multiple different paths to the same answer. So if they walk right past one path, there is another one there. You're not spoon feeding it. You're not saying hey look at this. But there are like say there's four interesting things. You put four interesting things on the table. They're gonna follow one of them. And maybe one of them takes them a much more circuitous, circuitous, circuitous word? I don't know how you say that word. So it's a running joke that I'm the worst person on the RPG Academy when it comes to words. So I'm the last person that you need to ask about words, okay? Okay. Well, (laughs) people know what I'm saying. The circle word, you know? Yeah, when people are taking a very long route. Yeah. Um, So, you know, you can have them go different ways and some of them are going to run shorter than others. But that's true of all one shots. Like sometimes you go through a one shot in two and a half hours. Sometimes it takes six hours. That's just how D&D works. So I wouldn't worry about that as the DM. And I wouldn't worry about that as anyone trying to write their own mysteries. Like that's just how any one shot works, no matter if it's a mystery or, or straight up get through a dungeon and slash it stuff. Okay. Yeah, I guess that, I mean, it makes sense then that the Valley would be a, a sandbox game then in the way that you're talking about there's multiple paths and for the players to to latch on to and whatnot it was the only way i could figure it out because I, okay i had written like i say murder was a very specific thing you're trapped on a train the murderer changes every time it was doing something very specific i was going for that 
murder mystery movie where they're trapped in an old house and they can't leave by a storm or the snow or something. There's some reason why they you can't leave the house. Or, or a horror movie, you can't leave the house. For some reason, you can't leave the house. And in this case, you're on a moving nonstop express train. You can't leave the train. You can't jump off this high-speed train. So you have to deal with the thing in front of you. You can't ignore it. You can't run away from it because you're trapped on a train. In this context, they're not, you know, they're not trapped. There is just one murderer. But they're motivated to figure it out. And there's a lot going on. And even if they try to leave, they'll kind of get sucked back in. And so that's, yeah. But they'll get sucked back in in a narrative way rather than a you're trapped on a train kind of way. Yeah, the players have buy-in to play in this 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 village that you've created. So I guess the one of the last things I wanted to ask you was out of so riding in the valley, what would you say was your what thing did you have the most fun riding for the valley? Probably the Appiates. Okay. I think they were they were really fun to come up with. Designing stat blocks is a bit of a pain in the ass, but I had I had a lot of fun with these. Um, I had a lot of fun with some of the NPCs, particularly one of the main NPCs that anyone who gets the book and and she's one of the first ones described in chapter one. If you if you get it and you so you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, just love her, and uh, so yeah, uh, that was that was a lot of fun for me to do. The weird bee monster, yes. Yes, the time. weird bee monster. But so the so if if somebody's looking to um, get the valley, where can they where can they pick it up? So it'll be on the Elms Guild. Um, it'll be released on the 29th of October, and it will also undoubtedly be my pinned tweet as well. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. That's like that's 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 where you want to go. The DMs Guild, and we are kind of talking. There is just there the the level of quality of like products that are being put on the DMs guild is just it's mind blowing. It it is. Right now. It's it's so good. It I honestly most of the stuff I use I get off DMs guild. I've had some amazing supplements. I really love the stuff because I say like I write a lot of my own stuff. So you know, I only buy a couple of adventures a year. I don't buy that many. Um but I do buy a lot of like people come up with some really cool like this I got a really cool thing um uh, Oliver Darkshire recently released a thing on Warlock Patrons that I just thought was great. Had some really cool ideas for Warlock Patrons. Um, there was one on crafting. Oh, I'm forgetting everything now, but there's been some really great supplements that just let you bring in more complex elements to your games to like flesh out stuff in terms of, especially in terms of skill challenges, in terms of like running different types of monsters and stuff. Uh, in a more, in a less uh, traditional way, especially like it sort of kind of hacks into the game a little bit. Yeah, it's I, I'm really excited just for um, to see products like yours, especially on the DMs Guild too, because it's a little bit it's a little bit different. So it's not something that you're going to see that the Wizards is going to Wizards really wouldn't publish anything like this. So to have a location where we can go and get stuff like that is is kind of it's kind of good. So yeah. It's good stuff. So the valley, though, uh, don't yeah. Everybody, just just go check out uh, the DMs Guild for it, and then Orla, where where is your what's your what's your Twitter handle so people can go see that pinned tweet? Yeah, so my Twitter handle is at naturally Orla. Um, you can also find all my stuff at at naturallyorla.com. Um, so it, I'm just naturally Orla on everything, so it's easy to find me. Um, 
And yeah, so like I said, out on the 29th, I think, um, like you said, Laura's work on the cover was fantastic. So we might be running a bit of a giveaway at the time. We might be doing something for retweets where maybe someone will get a print of the cover. We're still working that out. Uh, COVID restrictions are kind of uh, coming back in here. So we're trying to find an open print shop (laughs) that might delay things a little bit. But that's the general idea. Um, So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, you know, coming on here and chatting with me. I hope people really enjoy your stuff. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, No problem. And also, listeners, do not forget. Well, one other thing before I say that. All right. You know, I was about to say. um, So if you actually have a product coming out on the DMs Guild soon and you want to talk about it, I'm looking to um, chat with more folks about it so we can talk about all this great stuff that... um, I want everybody to see. So uh, don't forget, just check out the valley. And then also, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show, And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.